If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood maniac on the loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. Chapter 10 Where Were We? Friday Afternoon Max walks out of the bathroom and puts his hand on his belt. Now where were we? Max stops. His expression changes to one of subtle surprise as he looks closer at Melissa, whose eyes are wide and lifeless. Shit. Max puts his hand on her neck, feeling for a pulse. She must have gone in a shock and died. Max slowly turns to Alex and flashes his evil grin. She's still warm, though. Max smiles as he begins unfastening his belt, but stops when he hears a thud coming from the hallway. He looks at the hallway and then to Alex. What the hell was that? I don't know. Is there somebody else in this house? No! Max thinks for a moment. I'm gonna go look. And if I find someone else in this house, I'm gonna gut them like a fish. He moves his face closer to Alex and roughly grabs him by the throat. And then I'm gonna come back here and decorate this room with your intestines. Max gives Alex one last glare before he exits the bedroom and walks into the hallway. He stops and listens. He hears another bumping sound ahead of him. It appears to be coming from the closet in the hall. He stands outside the closet, slowly turns the knob, and opens the door. A dead body falls out of the closet onto the floor in front of Max. The body is that of a thin, balding man in his late 40s. Dried blood stains his face. Max is surprised and confused. What the hell? Max's expression changes to one of extreme pain. His body twists slightly. He winces as he turns his head to see where the source of pain is coming from. Alex's face comes into view, holding an expression of rage. He makes a stabbing motion with his arm, causing a more extreme grimace from Max, who then slumps forward. Max coughs, spitting up blood as his body weakens and falls forward, leaving an image of Alex standing with a snarled expression of satisfaction, chef's knife in hand, dripping with blood. Flashback, Wednesday, early morning. John Bromley, the man we knew as Alex, stands in a back alley. 
He is wearing a patient's uniform with the words Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital, patient 111737, stenciled on the left breast. John looks around. There is a construction site nearby. He studies a tool bag housing a hammer and some pliers, among other things. He cautiously picks up the bag and brings it with him as he peers around the corner. John sees a man in his fifties walking down the street. He is on a cell phone. More importantly, he appears to be roughly the same size as John. He is wearing a white dress shirt halfway unbuttoned. His necktie is untied and he is carrying a briefcase with a sports jacket draped over it. He is agitated. John ducks into a small alleyway as he eyes the man who is speaking into a cell phone. You just bite your tongue and listen to me. I'll be home when I'm home. I'm the head of this family. John listens to the man and presses his head against the brick alley wall. He imagines the many times his father said those very words to him. He winces as the agitated man continues to bark into the phone. I'm giving the orders here. John grits his teeth. Those were the last words John's father said to him before John buried a hatchet into his skull. Just make sure dinner is on the table when I walk through that door, or you can find yourself a new husband. The agitated man turns his cell phone off and mutters under his breath as he walks down the alley. As he reaches the corner of the small side alley, John Bromley reaches out, grabs him by the shirt, and wheels him around, pinning him against the building wall. Help! Help! Somebody help me! Bromley throws the man to the ground. Shut up! You shut up! The man continues to scream as Bromley reaches into the tool bag and pulls out a pair of pliers. As the man continues to plead for help, Bromley shoves the pliers into the man's mouth, grabs hold of his tongue, and rips it out. The man gurgles as his mouth spews blood. Bromley grabs a hammer out of the bag, lifts it up into the air, and brings it down with force. Flashback, Wednesday, late morning. A thin, balding man named Alex sits in the kitchen of the large, white Victorian house. His leg is propped up on the kitchen table. He is holding up a copy of Bra Busters and masturbating vigorously. His leg convulses and bumps a coffee cup, knocking it off of the table and sending it shattering to the floor. Damn it! Alex, the dead man who fell out of the closet, stands wipes his hand off onto his shirt, and bends down. He begins picking up the pieces of the cup when something catches his eye. He looks at the front door of the house. Through the window, he can see a man walking around on his front porch. The man is wearing a dress shirt with a sports jacket. Alex wasn't expecting any company and doesn't recognize the man. He gets up, fastens his pants, and makes his way for the door. When Alex opens the door and steps out onto the porch, John Bromley stands, staring at him. Uh, what can I do for you? John Bromley smiles. What's your name, sir? Uh, uh Alex? How long have you lived here? Uh, about ten years or so. Well, that's a long time to live in one place, don't you agree? Not really. The house I lived in before this was my home for over twenty years. And what caused you to leave there? A job. And do you live here with your family? 
Uh, no, I'm, I'm divorced. John shakes his head and lets out a disgusted sigh. I don't believe in divorce myself. Once you're married, there is no way out. Other than death, of course. Ah, yes, family. That's what it's all about. Alex seems confused. Okay, um, who are you and what do you want? You'll have to forgive me. You see, I used to live here when I was younger. It's my home. It will always be my home. He runs his hand over a flowered pillow sitting on a wicker chair. I must say, I do admire the decor. I expect the inside is just as nice. Alex shrugs. I like to think so. Did you decorate it yourself? Oh, no, no, no. My ex-wife did all this before she left. I decided to keep it, though. The women really love it. In fact, I've come to think of this place as my own private beaver trap. Alex lets out a chuckle. John is not amused. Um, <laughs> so you said you used to live here? John Bromley nods. Yes. Home sweet home. That's interesting, because I'm a historian. I, I have a record of all the families who lived here before me. Did you know the Bromleys used to live in this house? The Bromleys? You know John Bromley. The name sounds familiar. John Bromley, the serial killer. He used to live here with his parents and three sisters. He killed his parents and his siblings with an axe. Apparently he wasn't too thrilled with his father's decision to move the family. John begins to grind his teeth. He then eluded authorities and eventually got married, if you can believe that. Even wound up having a daughter. From all accounts, he was a textbook husband and father before he decided to chop them up, too. Apparently, they weren't the perfect family he had hoped for. John tries to fight back the memories of the axe sticking out of his wife's head and how it took three solid hacks into his daughter's chest before she finally stopped screaming. He takes a breath and quickly collects himself. The past never did interest me much. I'm more of a future man myself. You can't live in the past, you know. Well, oh, I don't live in the past. I just find it interesting. I don't. It's all about the future. And right now. You know, other than myself and the Bromleys, only three other families ever lived here. And judging by your age, I can't see that you fit the description of any of them. Is that so? What's your last name? Bromley. Alex laughs. <laughs> That's a good one. John Bromley is not laughing, and Alex notices this. <laughs> well, Bromley? Um, are, are you related to John Bromley? John Bromley pauses in deep thought. I'm pausing because I'm not really sure how to answer that question. Um, why is that? Because I am John Bromley. Alex starts to chuckle a bit, followed by John doing the same. Suddenly, John's face goes straight, emotionless. Alex stops laughing. He finally realizes he is indeed standing face to face with the serial killer, John Bromley. Alex turns and runs back into the house. He tries to shut the door behind him, but John kicks it back open before it can latch. John grabs a nearby shovel sitting on the porch and follows Alex up the stairs. Alex's screams of death can be heard as a notification rings on a laptop computer sitting on the kitchen counter. The house goes silent. 
A blood-covered John Bromley walks to the laptop, curious about the notification ring. He leans in and looks closely at the website. It's an internet dating site. In bold letters it reads, Hello, Alex. You are logged in. Meet the woman of your dreams now. John Bromley smiles. Flashback, Friday, afternoon. Melissa whimpers as Max pulls off his outer shirt, revealing a tan t-shirt, and begins to undo his belt, but freezes when he hears a cellular phone ringing in the attached bathroom. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Max enters the bathroom and shuts the door. John Bromley works his hands from the duct tape. He quickly leans over to Melissa. I'm loose. Are you, are you going to be okay? Can you move? Melissa is shocked and relieved. You're, you're loose. Oh, get me out of here. Hurry. He begins to untie her hands, but stops occasionally as he talks to her. I've really enjoyed getting to know you, Melissa. Do you feel the same? Uh, hurry, Alex. He'll be out soon. I felt an instant connection with you. I think we share the same morals and values. I, I think together we can create the perfect family. What? Uh, just hurry, untie me. Do you feel the same? Do you want the perfect family? We can do it. We can create the perfect family together as man and wife. Melissa is confused. Will you marry me, Melissa? What? A Alex, untie me? Get me out of here. Will you marry me? Will you? What are you talking about? This is your last chance, Melissa. I can't let anyone else have you. Please, just get me out of here. John Bromley picks up a pillow and guides it slowly toward her face. I'm sorry it has to be this way, Melissa. It could have been perfect. No! No! She screams, but it is quickly muffled due to John Bromley forcing the pillow down onto her face with aggression. His face curls into a scowl as he smothers the life out of Melissa. Chapter 11 Bodies Friday Afternoon Dr. Clark is pale. His lifeless eyes stare up at nothing. Dr. Grimm dusts the room with a feather duster. He stops, takes a breath, and glances back at Dr. Clark's dead body. He begins to pace back and forth. Oh boy. He runs his fingers through his thinning hair and begins to dust again, more energetically. Just clean, clean, everything will be just fine if I clean. He stops and looks back at Dr. Clark again. All right, uh, okay, uh, I gotta get organized. Um, um, okay. He bends down and straightens up Dr. Clark's crumpled jacket. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? He starts to pace and jumps when he hears a knock at the door. Dr. Grimm snaps his head around toward the sound, his eyes bulging with fear. There's another knock. Dr. Grimm looks around panicked. He freezes and physically makes himself smaller in his attempt to be quiet. Franklin, I know you're in there. I just heard your voice a second ago. It's Dr. Lewis. Dr. Grimm clenches his fist and whispers, Shit! She knocks again. Franklin, open the door. Ah, uh, uh, just a minute. He looks around frantically, trying to think of a way out of this. The knocking continues. Franklin, what are you doing? There is a small throw blanket on the back of a chair. 
Dr. Grimm moves quickly to grab it, and in the process, knocks a pencil holder off his desk, which makes a loud bang. Damn it! Dr. Grimm grabs the pencil holder and places it back on the table in an attempt to make it nice and neat. He then takes the blanket and tries to cover Dr. Clark's body as best as he can. Franklin, let me in and we can... comfort each other. She waits a moment and knocks again. Franklin! Dr. Grimm opens the door and launches himself out of the office, swiftly shutting the door behind him. He tries to play it calm, but is not successful. His speech is rushed and panicked. Oh, oh, hi, Kate. How are you? Dr. Lewis looks suspiciously at Dr. Grimm. What's going on? You're acting strange. Uh, n nothing, nothing, nothing's, nothing's going on, nothing at all. Uh, everything's fine. Uh, uh, why do you ask? Do you have a girl in there? Dr. Grimm is genuinely surprised by the accusation. No! It's that bimbo from accounting, isn't it? What? It's that bleach blonde from accounting. Who? Miss Silicon Valley. I've seen you checking out her fake boobs. Dr. Lewis, there's nobody here. Uh, nobody, just, just me. He puts his arm around Dr. Lewis and rushes her to the office door, speaking frantically as they move. Let's go somewhere. Oh, let's get some coffee, okay? Dr. Lewis stops when she notices that Dr. Grimm isn't wearing his tie. This is very unusual for him. Where's your tie? Dr. Grimm fumbles around trying to think of a reasonable answer. Uh, 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 I'm just not wearing it. Come on, let's go! Dr. Lewis pulls away from him. Franklin, you're acting strange! She rushes to Dr. Grimm's office door. Kate, no, no! She bursts into the office before Dr. Grimm can stop her. She puts her hand over her mouth. Oh my, is, is that... Dr. Grimm stands in the doorway. He's now calm. It's Dr. Clark. Is he... dead? He fell. He fell and hit his head. I did everything I could for him, but... he didn't make it. As Dr. Lewis runs to the body and uncovers Dr. Clark, Dr. Grimm steps into the room, shuts the door, and locks it. Well, get a card in here! Dr. Lewis begins to check Dr. Clark out, specifically looking at his head area. Dr. Grimm looms in the corner of the room behind her. He reaches into a box and pulls out a large syringe. Dr. Lewis continues to look around at Dr. Clark's head. She appears puzzled. I don't see any signs of head trauma. Dr. Lewis then takes her attention off of Dr. Clark's head as she notices the red abrasions on Dr. Clark's throat. Dr. Lewis touches the abrasions and a peculiar look comes over her face as it begins to dawn on her that Dr. Clark has been strangled. Dr. Grimm, now directly behind Dr. Lewis, grabs her head and holds it against his body as he slams the air-filled syringe into Dr. Lewis's ear. Her eyes widen as he pushes the plunger down. She begins to convulse violently before finally becoming still and slumping. Dr. Grimm lets her body go, and she falls on top of the deceased, Dr. Clark. Dr. Grimm rushes to a nearby plant and stuffs the syringe in it. He grabs his hair with both hands. Oh, what have I done? What have I done? He looks at Dr. Lewis's body and gasps. Oh, no. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? He falls heavily into his chair as he contemplates his next move. 
He is panicked and frantic and freezes when he sees the phone. I'm going to call Ski Mask. He grabs the phone, dials, and waits impatiently as it rings. Come on, answer, answer. Melissa whimpers as Ski Mask, the man we previously knew as Max, pulls off his outer shirt revealing a tan t-shirt and begins to undo his belt but freezes when he hears a cellular phone ringing in the attached bathroom. He refastens his belt and walks to the bathroom door. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Ski Mask enters the bathroom and shuts the door. He eyes the ringing cellular phone and picks it up. Hello? Ski Mask! Oh, thank God I finally got a hold of you! What do you want? I'm busy. Did you find Bromley? Yeah. Dr. Grimm is shocked and excited. You did? You did? You were, really? Is he there? What's happening? Did you catch him? Will you settle down? Well, is he secured? Yes. Dr. Grimm is elated. Finally, something goes right today. He takes a breath and calms himself. Did you have any problems? Piece of cake. Where did you find him? He came back to his old house. <laughs> You're kidding. You were right. Of course I was right. I've been guarding this maniac long enough to know what makes him tick. How did you get into the house? Did you sneak in and take him by surprise? He invited me in. What? <laughs> How did you manage that? Haven't you been listening? I know him. I know his tendencies. All I had to do was talk about family. So I made up some bullshit about having an estranged relationship with my father, and that was pretty much it. Dr. Grimm shakes his head. He actually went back to his house. Amazing! I thought he'd be smarter than that. Smart has nothing to do with it. He's intelligent, sure, but he has a drive that he can't control. He's obsessed with things being perfect. To him, this is the perfect house. There was no way he could keep from coming back here. He wants to live in the perfect house with the perfect family. That's what drives him. It overcomes his intelligence. He is insane, after all. I, I really thought that he would leave the area. I should put you on my medical staff, Ski Mask. No thanks. You shrinks have your ways, I have mine. Anyway, he was no match for me. I see. Did you kill him? No, I think it's best if we just sedate him, bring him back to the institution, and I'll hang him in his room, make it look like suicide. You can come up with some creative bullshit as to why you didn't inform the media. I'm sure you'll come up with something plausible. Uh, yes, I know just how to handle it. Oh, by the way, I'm gonna have an innocent bystander casualty. Wh what Who? Just some slut. She saw me, I can't let her live. Nothing for you to worry about. Uh, I, uh, I see. Um, on a related note, um, I have something else I need you to help me with. What? Um... It's, um... Well, come on, spit it out. Uh, I have a couple of casualties here myself. What? What do you mean? Well, I, uh... <laughs> um, you know Dr. Clark and Dr. Lewis? Yeah. Um, I, uh, well... In a word, they're dead. What? What happened? Uh, it was... I... They, they knew too much. They saw too much. They just... I... Are you trying to tell me that you killed them? Well, I'd rather not put it in those terms, but I didn't know what else to do. They, they had too much information. They just... Will you settle down? I'll take care of it. 
All we have to do is... There is a quick, sharp scream from the other room. Ski Mask looks in the direction of the scream, wondering what that was about. Uh, Ski Mask? Ski Mask, are you there? Ski Mask's mind is still on the scream as he speaks. Yeah, I'm here. Uh, listen, get over here as soon as you can and help me with these guys first, and then we'll clean up your mess. Uh, over there? Uh, okay. Um, sure, sure. I gotta go. Ski Mask hangs up the phone. Dr. Grimm takes a breath, stands up, and walks to a nearby mirror. He straightens his shirt and looks at his reflection assuredly. (sighs) You can do this. You can do this. This will all work out just fine. Chapter 12 The House Friday Evening Dr. Grimm pulls up to the house and parks. He sits in his car for a moment and eyes the outside of the house before leaning over to the glove compartment. He reaches in and removes a gun. He looks at the gun, back at the house, and gets out of the car. He carefully places the gun inside his jacket pocket and cautiously walks up to the house. The lights are on. Things seem quiet. He looks around and knocks on the door. There is no answer. Come on! Dr. Grimm is getting antsy. He does not want to be seen outside of the house. He knocks again. When there is still no answer, he turns the knob and enters. All is quiet with the exception of a loud dripping sound that appears to be emanating from a room deeper within the house. He shuts the door behind him. Ski mask? There is no answer. Dr. Grimm looks to his left and startles at the sight of Melissa sitting in a chair with her eyes wide open, staring at him. Dr. Grimm puts his hand on his chest and takes a breath. He walks to Melissa and studies her closely. She is obviously dead. This is likely the innocent bystander casualty that ski mask spoke of. Dr. Grimm turns and notices a few magazines lying on the living room floor. They are open and cluttered in appearance. Dr. Grimm stops and picks them up. He pauses when he sees the abnormally large breasts on the cover of Bra Busters. Holy shit. He puts the magazines together and stacks them neatly on the coffee table. He then walks toward the kitchen. Ski mask! The dripping is louder. Where the hell is he? Dr. Grimm enters the kitchen and sees the source of the drip, which is the kitchen faucet, dripping onto a stack of dirty dishes in the sink. He crinkles his nose at the disorderly sight. Disgusting. Dr. Grimm reaches the sink and twists the faucet knob to stop the drip. He turns and is startled by the sight of the homeowner, Alex. His dead body is propped up in the pantry. Dr. Grimm's shock quickly turns to that of confusion. Ski Mask only mentioned one innocent bystander casualty. Who the hell is this? Dr. Grimm runs his hands through his hair and thinks for a moment. He walks out of the kitchen into the dining room. He notices a light shining from under the door in the next room, so he cautiously approaches the door and pushes it open. All is quiet, but Dr. Grimm can see someone sitting in a chair. 
The chair is facing the wall so he can only see them from behind. He slowly makes his way to the person in the chair and touches them on the shoulder. The head rocks back slightly, revealing the dead body of Ski Mask. As he recognizes Ski Mask, he hears loud footsteps from the floor above. More than footsteps, it's the sound of someone running. Dr. Grimm steps out of the room as he follows the sound to the top of the stairs. Dr. Grimm's jaw drops as he sees John Bromley, a scowl on his face and bloody knife in hand, charging down the stairs toward him. Terror fills Dr. Grimm as he staggers backwards and falls over while fumbling for his gun. Finally, he gets control, and while still in a sitting position, he pulls out his gun and points it at Bromley. Stop or I'll shoot! John Bromley stops in his tracks, huffing. Dr. Grimm, what are you doing here? Don't. You. Move. Welcome to my home, Dr. Grimm. Isn't it perfect? The perfect home. And now all I need is the perfect family, and I'll be complete. Listen, I'm in control now, so it might be a good idea if you just shut up. A sadistic look cascades over John Bromley's face. That's no way to talk to the head of the household, Dr. Grimm. Dr. Grimm gnashes his teeth. You killed Ski Mask! Ski Mask? Ski Mask isn't here. Dr. Grimm points to the other room. I just saw his body in there! Bromley begins to realize the situation. So that was Ski Mask who I carved up earlier. But why would Ski Mask have come out here? Bromley pauses as he thinks. Ah, I see what you did. He shakes his head and scowls. That wasn't very nice of you to send Ski Mask after me, Dr. Grimm. Bromley takes a step toward Dr. Grimm and brandishes the knife. John, John, don't. John Bromley steps closer. Drop the knife. John stares hard at Dr. Grimm and takes another small step while squeezing the handle of the knife and gritting his teeth as if contemplating a charge. Dr. Grimm holds the gun out, grips it tighter, and shouts, Listen, John, you drop that knife right now, or I will shoot you! Bromley stops and glares at Dr. Grimm, finally opening his hand and letting the knife drop to the floor. Have it your way, Dr. Grimm. Okay, good boy. Now hand me that extension cord. Dr. Grimm motions to an extension cord on the table behind John. John Bromley does as he is told, but wheels around quickly to hand it to Dr. Grimm. Ah, ah, no, you slow. Move slow. Bromley follows the instructions and in a slow manner hands Dr. Grimm the cord. Okay, now turn around and put your hands behind your back. Bromley does so. Dr. Grimm steadies the gun on Bromley's back. Don't try anything. Dr. Grimm, needing to hold the gun with one hand, has difficulty trying to tie John's wrists with his lone free hand. Instinctively, he begins to use his other hand, which is holding the gun. The moment that Bromley feels the gun come off of his back, he spins and grabs Dr. Grimm. Dr. Grimm fumbles for the gun. No! The gun falls to the floor, and John Bromley squeezes his large hands around Dr. Grimm's throat. Dr. Grimm gasps for air as his hands flail around the surrounding area, hoping to find the cold steel of the gun, but all he feels is hardwood floor. Dr. Grimm begins to weaken as John constricts his hands more. 
Out of the corner of his bloodshot eyes, Dr. Grimm can see the glistening of light on the gun which is just slightly out of his reach. He dips deep into the last reserve of energy and slides his body over enough to grip the gun which he immediately thrusts against John's throat. John's grip loosens and Dr. Grimm lets out a hard cough as he speaks. <coughs> Get off me! John Bromley does as instructed as Dr. Grimm takes a calming breath and then barks orders at John. Turn around, now! John does so. Lie on your stomach and put your hands behind your back. John does so. You listen to me. You listen to me good. I'm gonna tie your hands behind your back. And if you move so much as a hair, I'm gonna put this gun to the back of your head and I will blow your brains out. Do you hear me? I'll blow them out all over this nice hardwood floor. Do you hear what I'm saying, John? Do you understand? John speaks with a defiant hiss. Yes, sir. Dr. Grimm cautiously puts his gun back into his pocket, grabs the extension cord, bends down and starts to tie Bromley this time without any problems. You can get up now. With his hands tied behind his back, it takes some work, but Bromley gets up. Dr. Grimm holds the gun on John Bromley. I'm your doctor, John. You can't outsmart me. Dr. Grimm smiles and takes several steps backward away from John Bromley. His smile grows as he talks. I've got you. You're all mine. No one will ever know you escaped. <laughs> You're mine, John. You're mine. Dr. Grimm laughs some more before finally taking in a deep breath and letting it out. Dr. Grimm continues to hold the gun on John Bromley as he wipes his sweaty brow. He then looks down at the coffee table at a glass of water sitting there. It's like I always say, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. He reaches down picks up the glass of water, and gulps it down in one drink. Dr. Grimm lets out a refreshing ah sound and starts to chuckle again. Slowly his smile begins to fade. His eyebrows crinkle as something doesn't feel right. His face begins to distort into an expression of pain. Ah! Oh, oh! Dr. Grimm coughs and his body starts to convulse. White foam begins to ooze out of his mouth as his coughing becomes more severe and his body and face continue to contort. John Bromley looks on curiously as Dr. Grimm drops the gun and falls to his knees, continuing to cough violently as white foam turns red and streams from his mouth. His body begins to spasm as he falls forward and lets out a few more wheezing coughs before death causes him to lie still. Flashback, Friday, early afternoon. Ski Mask and Melissa sit in the living room. Both have water in front of them. Melissa speaks. A damper? The little thing that you open when you're burning a fire so that smoke goes off the chimney. As he is looking at the fireplace and speaking, Melissa takes a small, needleless syringe holding about three cc's of clear liquid and quickly pushes it into Ski Mask's water. 
She swiftly puts the empty syringe back into her purse as he finishes up his fireplace speech and turns back to her. So how's that water? Melissa takes a drink. Good. How's yours? She smiles. Flashback. Thursday afternoon. Melissa enters her living room. As she turns the corner, she sees Ryan leaning back in a chair, staring at her. Ryan is a scuzzy man in his 40s. His hair is messy and greasy. He wears a white t-shirt with food stains spattering the front. Well, 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 there she is. I've been waiting for you. Melissa stops in her tracks. Hints of both fear and anger overcome her face. Ryan, what are you doing here? I told you never to come here. Ryan launches himself from the chair and slaps Melissa, sending her reeling against the wall. He gets his face close to hers. I come here whenever I damn well please. Yeah, you forgot to log off your little computer dating site today. I saw all the messages. Planning a date, are ya? Blood drips down Melissa's mouth. She dabs at it with the back of her hand. That's none of your business. None of my business. I'm your husband. Bullshit. The divorce will be final next week. And until then, I'm still your husband. All we're waiting on is for the paperwork. This marriage is over. Don't you say that. Don't say it. Get out of my house. This is my house too. I owned this house before I ever met you. This is my house. And until the divorce is final, it's my house too. And you got a problem with that, call the police. Go right ahead. And I'll tell them all about your little medicine bag. Melissa quickly calms down and lets out a breath. Yeah, that's right. We don't want to open that can of worms. Now do we, sweetheart? Melissa stares at him, disgusted and furious. Come on, baby. Give me one more chance. I don't want things to end like this. It's too late. Why? Why does it have to be too late? All I want is for things to be like they used to be. Remember all the good times we had? Remember what it was like? The good old days when you would go out on a date? Remember how we worked that? He'd take you back home. I would hide outside while you poisoned the guy. Then you'd come let me in and we'd watch him die together. Do you remember all those times? It was beautiful. We were perfect together. We always have been. Why do you want to throw all that away? It changed the day you hit me. I won't tolerate that. It's over. You have to learn to accept the fact that it's over. Ryan's face turns into a threatening growl as he grabs Melissa by the throat and crashes her against the wall. It's not over! You give me another chance. Just one more chance. He presses her harder against the wall. I won't hit you anymore. I promise. Melissa stares hard at Ryan before finally speaking. Friday night. What? The date is for Friday night. When he takes me back to his house, I'll let you in. And you can watch. <laughs> Just like old times. Ryan smiles, relaxes, and takes his hand off of her throat. Yeah, that's my baby. That's my baby doll. He kisses her very sloppily, his tongue going all over her mouth. Melissa is not kissing him back. She is simply bracing herself, frozen like a statue, seemingly in a numb trance. Friday, late afternoon. Ryan walks into the living room with a beer in one hand and a cigarette in the other. He's wearing a gas station attendant's shirt with the name patch of Ryan on the left-hand side. 
He stops to take a drink of beer, followed by a drag off of his cigarette, and then subtly scratches his crotch. He walks into the kitchen, snuffs out his cigarette in an overfilled ashtray on the counter, opens the refrigerator door, and pulls out another beer. He swallows down the remainder of his open beer in one gulp and tosses the can in the trash. As he opens his next beer, a note held up by magnets on the refrigerator door grabs his attention. He pulls it off the refrigerator and reads it. Ryan, I lied to you. My date was for this afternoon, not tonight. By the time you read this, the date will be over, as will the life of the man I had the date with. I will have watched it by myself. I will have savored every moment, not just of watching the man die, but reveling in the fact that you are not there to watch with me. It excites me to know how furious you will be as you read this, and I do not fear your wrath, as you will never, ever see me again. I'm leaving the state as soon as my deed is done. However, being that I'm not as cold-hearted as you, I thought you might like to see my handiwork one last time. Below are directions to the house. I'll leave the door unlocked. Think of it as my going-away present to you, jerk. Sincerely, Melissa. Ryan crushes the note in his fist. Bitch! Ryan exits in a rush. Friday. Evening. Ryan walks to the front door of the white Victorian-style house. He looks around and knocks gently. He waits a moment and then tries the knob. It's open. He walks in. Ryan stops and has a peculiar look on his face as he sees John Bromley with his hands tied behind him. He is rubbing the rope on the side of the stair banister trying to get loose. Dr. Grimm's body can be clearly seen sprawled out in the middle of the room. What the hell? John Bromley is wide-eyed and surprised. Oh, thank God! Untie me, quick! Ryan cautiously walks to John Bromley and eyes Dr. Grimm's body on the floor. What the hell happened here? Bromley indicates Dr. Grimm with a nod. This crazy guy just burst in and started killing people. Ryan pans around the room and sees Melissa's dead body in the chair. Melissa? He rushes to her and stops. His jaw drops as he stares at his dead wife. John Bromley seems curious. Do you know her? Ryan nods. She's my wife. Your wife? Uh, are you sure? Ryan nods. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I'm so sorry. Uh, look, I don't mean to come across as insensitive, but would you mind untying me? Huh? Oh, yeah, sure. Ryan walks to Bromley and begins untying his hands. I was talking to her earlier. She never said she was married. Yeah, well, we're in the process of getting a divorce. Ryan finishes untying John Bromley. John lets out a sigh as he rubs his wrists. I don't believe in divorce myself. Once you're married, you're married. Until death do you part. Ryan's not really listening to John Bromley. What the hell happened here? Bromley motions to Dr. Grimm's dead body. This crazy maniac came in here and killed your wife along with a couple other people. He was going to kill me too, but then he drank something from that glass there and he died. Ryan gives John Bromley his full attention now. What glass? Bromley motions to the glass on the floor by Dr. Grimm's body. R right there. Ryan bends down and looks at the glass. He picks it up, inspects it, and smiles as he looks at the glass and then at Melissa. <laughs> Didn't turn out quite like you planned, 
did it, darling. I'm really sorry about your wife, mister. Nothing can be worse than losing a spouse. That is the main ingredient to a perfect family. Ryan scoffs. Well, she had it coming. Bromley doesn't appreciate the comment. His expression says so. Ryan walks to Melissa and kneels down in front of her. He doesn't even notice John Bromley walking across the room and picking up a shovel. He doesn't notice John Bromley stepping up behind him and raising the shovel high into the air. Yep. Till death do us part. Bitch. John Bromley brings the shovel down with such force that it instantly caves in Ryan's skull. John Bromley slices a cake into equal portions, places them on a platter, picks it up, and walks into the dining room. Once inside the dining room, he stops, smiles, and makes an announcement. Thank you, everyone, for being present during the happiest day of my life. For it is today that I finally achieved my lifelong dream, and I couldn't have done it without all of you. The perfect family. The bodies of Dr. Grimm, Ski Mask, Melissa, Alex, and Ryan are all propped up in chairs. The table is done up in a traditional dinner, turkey, dressing, various side items. What one may expect the table to look like on Thanksgiving. Bromley smiles as he holds the cake and takes in the sight. A radio is playing in the other room of the house and a news report can be heard. There is still no official word from the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital regarding the escape. As far as we know, an escaped mental patient, described as extremely dangerous, is still on the loose. The End We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to maniacontheloose.com slash support. That's maniacontheloose.com slash support. Thank you so much.